golf and sex, the two things you can be terrible at and still enjoy. And I feel like that should be the title of your memoir. <laughs> you probably should. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and with me, as always, is a man who needs plenty of introduction, my twin brother, Mike. Hey, everybody. This week, we look back at a very weird week in Royals baseball, discuss the man, the myth, the legend, Nicky Lopez, and look ahead to a full week's worth of games this week. That's right. No more off days after this week. And I need that bad. I need something nightly to distract me from eating food is what I need. I need (laughs) something... I need something nightly to distract me from the horrors that is my daily life. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, please, please, baseball, just happen every day. Yeah. Um, come on. So yeah, no more looking around for something to do, realizing that your life isn't nearly interesting enough. Uh, now we have baseball to distract us every single day for the next week. That's All fantastic. Right. Yeah. But enough about this week. Let's talk about last week. Last week, the Royals went two and two. That's right. Monday through Sunday, they played only four games. And I, I spent that time crying. They grabbed a win a piece against the Indians and White Sox and lost one to each as well. Heading into this week, we said we'd learn a lot about this team from these first two divisional series. Did we, Mike? Um, I think so. I I think we probably learned that uh, the offense might not be as potent as they showed in that first series. I think they have a formula for a very strong offense. And when it's working the way that they want it to, they are going to score a lot of runs. But when they come up against top-tier pitching, which we didn't see so much in the uh, games against the White Sox, but when they went up against Shane Bieber, that was – I mean, they, they, they look bad. Um, so there's going to be times when this team does struggle if they're not following the formula that will make them successful, which is that top of the lineup getting on base – and getting driven in and in the bottom of the lineup also providing runs here and there where you're getting help from Michael A. Taylor, Nicky Lopez taking walks and Whit Merrifield probably being the one that drives them in. So um, I think, I think we learned that um, the offense may not be as strong as we want it to be, but I don't think that the starting pitching is going to be as bad as we saw in that first. And it got a little bit better this week and I hope to keep seeing steps forward for the starting pitching. Yeah, I wonder if some of those offensive struggles isn't down to just irregular play. They had essentially three off days with the rainout this week. And so they looked very much like a team today. This is Sunday, uh, April 11th, when we're recording this. They looked a lot like a team that hasn't played regularly. They're getting thrown out on the bases. They're flailing a little bit at the plate. Oh, that was so bad. That was so bad. I mean, (laughs) I think their their first two guys that even got on today got thrown out on the bases. <laughs> yeah. uh, now, Mary Fields was, a, I think, a terrible review. I think that he was safe, and I think that I have no idea where their basis for their review or their overturning the call came from. But still, it was just it was, it was was a real sloppy day for their offense at the plate as well. Um, and so I think a lot of that is just the regularity of their play. They haven't seen live pitching uh, on a regular basis in, in a week for the last week. And there's, you can tell that they're struggling with their timing. They're struggling to get uh, things going offensively, but hopefully with regular games, they start to um, get that offensive rhythm back, start to get their timing back and that sort of thing. Yeah. And one thing that's kind of thrown me off in both the, the first series from the week before this week and this past week 
the umpiring has not been tremendous. Oh, it's been atrocious. And so trying to figure out like the strike zones has been, I can imagine would be tough when you're playing four games in a week. And the week before that, the umpiring was so bad. <laughs> oh, the first couple um, weeks of this baseball season have been the greatest argument for robot umpires I have ever seen in my life. Yeah, it it has been so bad. Yeah. And I, and you know it is when a guy like Whit Merrifield's getting called out looking and you're like, wait a second. And he struck out like four times this week. And I would imagine you can chalk a lot of it up to the fact that he doesn't know where the zone is at this point because nobody does. I, we saw a take from Santana today. And I'm, I'm, if, I were the, if I were the White Sox, I would have been livid because it, he, it, was, it was strike three. It was, three, it was a 3-2 count. Santana takes a curveball that's easily in the bottom third. It might even be set in the middle of the play. It might even be in the middle third. It was easily in the strike zone. And he gets called ball four and he takes his base. Great for us. You know, that was one of the ones that went for us. There were very few in the first, uh, in this last week. But yeah, the, the balls and strikes umpiring has been so bad uh, to start the year. Mm-hmm. And it's just, this is going to sound bad because, I don't know. It just is. But a lot of these are the same umpires we've been hearing about from for 20 years, years, for 15 years. And it's like, at what point do we say, listen, Joe West, listen, Angel Hernandez, listen, a lot of these different guys, you're getting up there. It's time to hang it up. (laughs) It it might be time to hang it up. And maybe now with this generation moving out is a time to transition to a technology that can more consistently call balls and strikes. Joe Um, West can go off and make his country albums for... (laughs) I mean, you're seeing, you're seeing, they, they put out reports on how accurate umpires are and the ones they're putting out right now are really bad. I mean, really, really bad to, to the point where you're seeing like a run and a half advantage to one team uh, based on the balls and strikes they're getting. So um, hopefully they get that figured out because man, I am ready for some robo umpires. You don't have to lay anybody off. Just make that a home plate umpire, a base umpire, make them make them call outs safe at home plate. That's fine. And then a computer calls balls and strikes. Pretty simple. Right. But anyway, the last week was a little bit of a choppy thing. I think we learned some about the team. I think watching the Royals play the White Sox, you did get the distinct impression that they're not on that level right now, right? That they're not as good as the White Sox are. That lineup is so, so good. And and they're not even at full strength. And they're not, yeah, they're not at full strength. Tim Anderson not, isn't there. Yeah, he's know. not. And and Eloy Jimenez isn't there. Of course, he's not going to be for most, if not all, of the season. Yeah. But that lineup is so powerful and so athletic. They crush the ball and they can run, right? I think of Lewis Robert. I think of, you know, um, when Anderson's there, he runs. When Anderson's in there, he runs. But they have even uh, Adam Eaton. Adam Eaton is crushing the ball right now. He hit a two run home run today. And so, it's just a really, really good lineup. Um, Yohan Mankato. Oh, Yohan Mankato. Switch hitter. Just just a monster at the plate. And so I don't think the Royals are quite on that level right now. I think maybe they get to a point where they bring up some of their young pitching, where maybe Isbell gets more comfortable at the plate. Maybe even a Bobby Witt Jr. comes up and becomes a phenom midseason or something. I don't know. But right now, the talent level just isn't, isn't the same. But I think when you looked at that Cleveland series, I th- think what you see is two evenly matched teams they're evenly matched because they're very different things you know the indians are so pitching heavy whereas the royals are probably on that level but they spread it you know they have to kind of spread it out a little bit it kind of depends on who will be pitching that day and and who's in the lineup that day or how's the lineup doing at this moment it's not necessarily a well we know cleveland's pitching is going to be good we know it all the time Um, the royals you're not for sure the lineup's going to be great today 
but you might get a great start or you might get a great bullpen that day. Whereas, you know, Cleveland, they're not going to have a great lineup all year probably. So, yeah, but, but I, I think they're the about Im- that level. I get the impression that when I'm watching both teams that I was actually, I'd rather be a Royals fan right now than an Indians fan, because it does look to me like maybe the Royals are just a tick better. They, I mean, you'll remember they, they won that first game uh, and then lost the second one. On Jose Ramirez. Just yeah, Jose Ramirez. Uh, yeah. Well, Jose Ramirez and Greg Holland giving up a lead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's not, I don't think it's going to be a frequent occurrence that the Royals bullpen blows a lot of leads. I think they've pitched well, actually, to this point in the season that they blew that one and it seemed big. And then they, Jesse Hahn blew one today, but they pitched six innings today and only gave up two runs. I mean, their bullpen has carried such a huge load for them that they've just really, they've been excellent for the, for as many innings as they've pitched. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 it almost looks to me like after watching those two very short series, both games, both series only ended up being two games. But if you ask me, like, where do the Royals fit? It's actually right between the Indians and the White Sox. There were some strong performances this week as we uh, were able to split series with the Indians and White Sox. Mike, who stuck out to you as having particularly strong performance? I'm going to go with the oldie, but a goodie. Not really oldie, but he's been with Kansas City for a while now. He's kind of oldie. I guess, yeah, because we didn't let him play until he was like 27. Uh, Whit Merrifield had a great week. He's had a great year so far, uh, but he was 5 for 15 this week. Uh, with two walks, a home run, four RBI just this week. Uh, another big RBI today in the game. So far this season, his OPS is 1.174. So he's not only getting on base like he has always done uh, and hitting, putting the ball in play like he's always done, he's driving it um, for extra bases. And so he is just the, the apple of our eye. Yeah, when will people start putting him in the conversation with best hitters in the league? I really think he belongs there at this point. I mean, I know he doesn't have the 40 home run power of, you know, some some of these guys, but I think this year there's a good chance he puts out 20 at the pace he's on right now. It seems like he's found his home run stroke, um, and he's just so consistently good. I think I think he maybe belongs in that conversation at some point. We'll see where he's at in a few weeks, but I don't see anything slowing him down right now. So. Me either. Uh, the thing that stuck out to me this week on the pitching side, especially, has been Kyle Zimmer. What a oh, what a he breath of fresh air he's been! Today. Huge today. Oh. He came in today and shut that game down in the tenth when we needed a bullpen arm because we'd already rolled out Stamont, Barlow, Holland, Wade Davis, Greg Holland, and we'd rolled out Jesse Hahn, who gave up the lead. But we just we really didn't have anybody left. It was it was Zimmer or it was uh, who who do we have left? Brents. Hernandez and Brents. That's maybe everybody who that's basically our whole bullpen. I guess Junis, yeah. but I know they don't want to use him, uh, and yeah. I don't think they wanted to use Zimmer either. I think because he had started warming up back in like the second inning when Mike Miner was originally struggling. I don't think they wanted to have him warm up again and and come into that game, but he had to, and he came in and just. With a guy starting on second, as it's done in extra innings this year, shut it down. I was so worried struck that it was two, like to start struck it. out yeah. two, got into some difficult counts. Uh, we went to went three two to two guys, yeah. struck them both out, and so you know, really really great to see him having a great season so far. So that gives him what six six point one innings pitched so far, hasn't given up a run. Just a really really great start to the season for him, and it's so great to see that being the case for him because yeah. one they need him if, if jesse han's not going to be as electric as he was last year they need someone to be and it could be zimmer um, yeah and his uh his breaking stuff has looked phenomenal the curveball is big 
and has a ton of depth to it. And then he's now coming back with then throwing the slider a little bit more. And that's, I think what he ended that second hitter with today was the slider. And it looked, uh, it looks great too. So if he can, he always, I mean, he throws hard still, which is good. Um, but I think it's that breaking stuff that's starting to separate him and make him uh, a step higher than what he was. Yeah, and the fact that he has four pitches he can throw. He threw a changeup today that nobody expected, oh, really? I'm sure. Wow. Uh, yeah, and so I don't know that it ended up being all that good. Uh, I think Eaton was uh, feigning a bunt, and it ended up below the strike zone. But um, the fact that he that hitters have to think about not just a fastball slider like a lot of relievers, but a fastball slider, curveball, changeup, uh, I think is really playing to his advantage because it doesn't look to me like he's throwing as hard as he has in the past. I think he's probably sitting 93, 94 right now instead of maybe sitting 95, which he would have in, in last year. But that's fine if it, you know, if he's got these dynamite secondary pitches um, and, he, and he's getting guys out, I, you know, what, what do I care? Um, so, yeah, I've been really, really happy with him. He had a good week this week and let's hope he, he keeps it going. Yeah. Um, not everybody had a great week and we've been actually been getting requests to talk about uh, the, the person we're going to talk about who's struggling, and that's Andrew Benintendi. Somebody on Twitter reached out and asked us to uh, to dig into Benintendi, and I will, and we will. Uh, maybe at some point we'll take even a deep dive and put him as the focus of our spotlight. But uh, for now, we think it might just be early season struggles like we predicted he would have. We said that there was a good chance that because he's trying to find his old approach, trying to get back to his old bat path, he might struggle early in the season, and that's what we're seeing. Oh, yeah, definitely. He uh... – He's got a 30% strikeout rate right now for this season. Um, he does have five hits, but they're all singles. He's just not making hard contact with the ball. When you do see him hitting the ball, it is a lot to center field, but he's just swinging and missing so much. And I think we might've mentioned this in the last episode. He's swinging and missing at balls in the strike zone, like not making contact with pitches that are very hittable pitches. He did have a hit today. He had an RBI today as well. So that's good to see. But, you know, his OPS for the season's 583, or sorry, for this week, 583. So, and that's, I mean, he's walking a couple times. He's walked a couple times. He's just striking out way too much. Um, we were hoping to see an Andrew Benintendi who was driving the ball into gaps and using above average base running ability to either be on, get on base and, and or drive in Whit Merrifield who hits in front of him. But that just hasn't been the case. He especially up in the strike zone. He's, he's missing a lot of balls up in the strike zone, breaking balls that are up in the strike zone, fastballs that are up in the strike zone, just flat swing and miss. So I don't know if that's just, hey, need to continually work on that, or if that's going to be a persistent problem, then we're, we're in trouble at the two-hole. Yeah, especially fastballs. He's, I mean, there's, he's notedly having issues with heat, especially heat up. Um, and so I'm not sure... Uh, but this isn't anything I didn't expect. Right. And so I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm not worried about it. Like uh, I think it's somewhat troublesome, but I'll, I also, there are times when I see him hit and I'm like, okay, he's almost on it. I mean, he's almost there is what it looks like sometimes. And then, you know, he'll dribble a weak ground ball somewhere or he'll strike out on a fastball that he should make contact with. Right. I think, I think he's just still working it out. You know, he's still finding, the correct bat path for him. Cause really a lot of the balls that he's hitting, a lot of these balls that he's putting in play. And even the ones he's getting base hits on they're ground balls that should be line drives. He is not elevating the ball the way he needs to. And it makes me wonder, has he overcorrected a little bit? Has he sort of tried to get some of the loft out of his swing to cut down on strikeouts? And it's not, 
it's too, it's not lofted enough now. And now we're looking at a guy who's hitting too many ground balls. I think he's just still dialing it in. Right. And that's to be expected. It's really hard to change the way you swing. Right. Especially when you're 26 years old and you've sort of been tinkering with your swing for the last couple of years, it's hard to sort of tinker again and go be successful. The thing that I like to see is that he is still putting together some good at bats and in key moments, he's sometimes still coming through. It came through big today with a big RBI. And so, you know, yes, the numbers look bad. Yes. He's striking out too much right now, but he doesn't look completely incompetent at the plate. And I think once he gets some more confidence in the way he's swinging, hopefully he ends up finding a way to stop missing fastball so much, stop missing inside the zone so much and starts uh, getting dialed in. I, I have actually have confidence that that's going to happen. It might take some more time, but I do have that confidence. Well, color me skeptical. I'm, you know, after coming off the, the season, he had the last, really the last part of two years ago. And then last year, I'm just skeptical that he's going to be able to, all of a sudden be that hitter that he was in 2018, you know, and I know he's working things out and I know he's a, a top prospect when he came out, but yeah, just watching a guy swing and miss that much in the zone for a major league hitter that you're batting in the two hole seems worrisome to me. Well, that's the thing. I don't think it's going to be all of a sudden. I think it's going to take some time. It might be mid season before okay. he finds it. Right. So when, when Mondesi thing- comes back, then do you move Benintendi out of the two hole and put Mondesi there? Or do you shuffle it around somehow? Cause he's getting more at bats than anybody. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't honestly, <laughs> I know it sounds weird, but no, I wouldn't. I would, um, I mean, if I'm doing anything, then I'm probably say, I don't know if I'm putting Mondesi up in the two hole, especially right away. Yeah. Uh, Michael A. Taylor's hitting pretty well. Maybe he goes there. Kyle Isbell's hitting pretty well. Maybe he goes to the two hole. Isbell scares um, me a little too. But at least he's having good at bats. And that's the thing. Like yeah. Benintendi's not having terrible at bats. He's getting into deep into counts. He's, he's putting the ball in place. Um, he's striking out too much. That's true. But you kind of knew when you put Benintendi in this role and he didn't take off in spring and you saw the way he was swinging, you kind of knew, okay, it's going to take him some time. Right. And so they have to be comfortable with it, taking him some time. He is contributing in other ways. I mean, he made a play defensively today that basically saved a run getting to a ball really quickly in the outfield and keeping a guy from going third to, or from going to uh, first to home on a double, I think. So it was, it was a good defensive play that, that saved a run. Um, and so he's doing some of those things that really help out. People are praising Nicky Lopez for all those things, those little things. Right. And he also put that bunt down that ultimately got them the run today that uh, put them ahead. Uh, and so he's doing some things that are really beneficial to the team. So let him keep doing that. Let him keep working it out because you gave up some serious capital to get him. So prospect capital. So you might as well let him work it out in a season where you're not overly optimistic about competing. So you might as well like let, let him try and find it. And maybe by midseason he does and he goes on a tear, you know. If you like what you're hearing, please, please, please subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use, but especially if you use Apple Podcasts, because that's apparently the holy grail of podcast apps. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout-out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. This week, we shine the spotlight on a man so enigmatic, so mysterious, so earth-shatteringly complex, even Christopher Nolan would refuse to make a movie about him. That man is, of course, Nicholas Lopez. 
If you're listening to this podcast, you almost certainly know his story already. He was a fifth round pick by the Royals out of Creighton University, a wiry shortstop, short on tools, but big on baseball know-how. He continually impressed in the minor leagues with high on-base percentages and good bat-to-ball skills, not to mention a stellar glove on the middle infield. But when he got to the majors, it all kind of fell apart. In 2019 and 2020, he struggled mightily at the plate, striking out much more than in previous seasons and walking much less. He had trouble handling Major League Heat, especially on the inside part of the plate. After his first season, he added muscle in an attempt to hit the ball harder, and his numbers didn't get any better. So he abandoned that and tried to get back to his original Nicky this season, only to have one of the worst spring trainings I've ever seen from an expected starter. By the end of the spring, he was flailing at everything and looked completely devoid of confidence. He managed to lose his starting job, was demoted to AAA, and only returned to the big league club after Alberto Mondesi hurt his oblique. This was a second chance for Lopez, and despite how abysmal he looked in spring, he's taken full advantage. In six games and 22 plate appearances before the game today, he had a 368 batting average and a 409 on base percentage. He had a 119 weighted runs created plus, which for the less statistically inclined is an overall measure of a hitter's production where 100 is average. So 119 is 19% above average in terms of offensive production. For perspective, in 2019 and 2020, Lopez had a weighted runs created plus of 55 and 56, respectively. He was almost 50% worse than average for the last two seasons, and now he's almost 20% above average. That's how much better he's doing this year. Uh, Mike, tell me, why will Nicky Lopez win the MVP, and why should he be inducted into the Hall of Fame? Well, my, my answer is a simple answer to that question is pump the brakes, muchacho. <laughs> okay? What? Nikki Lopez. I've already started I, taping. I've already started writing his Hall of Fame speech for hey, him. Hey, good. Um, I'm sure he's very eager to read it. Um, no, I, you know, I love Nikki Lopez, and you and I talked in an earlier episode about why Royals fans root for him um, because he is kind of a scrapper. He is. He was not a star prospect ever, but you have to pump the brakes. I don't think Lopez was as bad as he was in the spring. I don't think he's as good as he's been so far this year. Um, I think he's somewhere in the middle, but the key is that he has to have the ability to draw a walk. If you go back and look at his minor league numbers and almost every minor, and he was in the minors for quite a while, and almost every minor league season, he had a walk rate above 10%. He's got to have that in Major League Baseball. If he doesn't, his value is only in his defense because he's not going to, I don't think he's got the barrel control to consistently hit 330 and be a viable option at the bottom of a lineup. But if he hits 285 and he's walking at above 10%, then you're talking about a guy that's seriously valuable, especially when you throw in his glove at second base, which is where he's likely to play most of the time moving forward. The one guy that he kind of reminds me of is the guy that we just saw in the White Sox. Now he's older than this guy, but Nick Madrigal, they're kind of similar players. Now Madrigal never walked as much as Nicky Lopez did in the minors. He never struck out as much as Nicky Lopez did in the minors. He's got a lot more of that barrel control, um, which has led to higher batting averages. But um, he is a no-power guy like like Lopez. He is a solid defensive second baseman like Lopez. Yeah, yeah not um, as good as Lopez, though. Yeah, no, probably not as good as Lopez. But both of those guys are going to have to do certain things with a bat as far as putting the ball in play, getting hits anywhere you can, and then Lopez especially is going to have to add on the walks. 
Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. He has to be an on-base kind of guy. Uh, today in the broadcast, Lefevre mentioned something that I didn't really like as a point. He was sort of glorifying the nine hitter who doesn't actually hit, um, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Of course, you'd rather have your nine hitter be able to hit than not. But he was sort of saying like a nine hitter has to do these other things too. And it's like, yes, that is true. If, if you're going to have a nine hitter like Nicky Lopez, one who's not going to hit very much, then he has to do the other things. He has to get sack flies. He has to put down a bunt occasionally. He has to hit and run. And for Lopez, some of those things can be weapons, right? We've seen that he can bunt for hits. We've seen that when he does bunt, sometimes it's more, it's less of a sacrifice, more of a put pressure on the defense and see if that we can make them make a mistake. We can get Lopez a base hit out of this or something like that. Um, and if all else fails, it serves as a sacrifice bunt. And so, yes, he will have to do various things. In my mind, I think you're right. Like, I think he does need to take walks. I want to sort of talk a little bit about like the, the factors that will lead to his success, right? And so I've been thinking a lot about this. There are basically three factors that matter to, to Lopez's success in the majors. Uh, those three factors are his whiff rate, which is how frequently he swings and misses, his launch angle, what trajectory the ball comes off the bat, and his exit velocity, how hard does he hit it off the bat? Basically, I mean, this is broadly speaking, the number of hits any player gets is determined by their launch angle and their exit velocity. If you have a particular launch angle between 10 and 25 degrees and a particular exit velocity, you are far more likely to get a hit, right? Really, if you have a particular launch angle from 10 to 25, you're more likely to get a hit regardless of the exit velocity. And this is Whit very Whit Merrifield-like. Up until this season, Whit Merrifield has not hit the ball very hard relative to the other players in the league, but he hits it. He hits line drives a ton. That's between 10 and 25 degrees off the bat. Let's look a little bit at Lopez's whiff rate, launch angle, and exit velocity to see how sort of walks and the way he's hitting the ball off the bat will play a factor in his success. You mentioned he needs to walk more. That means swinging and missing less part, you know, in large part, or at least a little bit. This year, they've talked a lot about how his whiff rate has gone down, and it has a little bit. It definitely has gone down since last year. In 2019, his whiff rate was 15%. In 2020, it was 21%. In 2021, so far, it's been 11.8%. So it's down from last year, which is good. It's getting back towards the 2019 level although he is starting to swing and miss a little bit more as he faces better pitching, but that's maybe, maybe bound to happen, but he needs to keep that rate down, right? And he needs to keep the strikeout rate down. He needs to put balls in play or take walks. He cannot be striking out, especially at, you know, anything close to like, even about 15% is going to be a problem for him. And that's something that Madrigal does really well, which allows that bat to play up a little more. He strikes out at like under 6%. Guys like that can't strike out. <laughs> yeah, Madrigal has a ton of barrel control. I actually got to see him and scout him live for baseball prospectus a couple of years ago. And uh, that's the one thing you noticed about him. I didn't like the fact that a lot of the contact he puts in play is weak because mm -hmm. he's not actually a really disciplined hitter like you would think he would be because he doesn't strike out a lot. So it makes it seem like he's really disciplined, but he's actually not. He just has a lot of plate coverage. And so he can make contact with balls that are really pitcher strikes that he shouldn't be swinging at. He would have better power numbers. Madrigal would have better power numbers if he didn't swing at so many pitches on the edges of the strike zone. But for Nicky, he needs to stay, he needs to make contact when the ball is inside the strike zone. He has issues, especially against fastballs, good ones, making contact inside the strike zone. 
He has to keep that up, right? But the most important, the key for Nicky Lopez is launch angle. He has to find a way to optimize his launch angle to be between 10 and 25 degrees throughout the course of the year. Now, this is really important. I went to, to fan graphs and I looked up the 2019 launch angle leaders, right? And I said, who are the top 10 leaders in launch angle from that la from the last full season we have? You'll be no surprise who number one was. It was Whit Merrifield, right? At 28.5%, he hit line drives 28.5% of the time. The other names in the top 10, Freddie Freeman, Domingo Santiago, Mike Trout, David Fletcher, Jorge Polanco, Cody Bellinger, Adam Frazier, Justin Turner, and Dansby Swanson. Some of those names are guys Nicky Lopez is never going to be. Freddie Freeman, Mike Trout, not even Whit Merrifield. Nicky Lopez is never going to be those guys. Bellinger, that's not <laughs> Nicky Lopez, right? But there is a guy on there who really intrigued me when I looked at this list. His name is Adam Frazier. If you've never heard of him and you're interested in Nicky Lopez, go look at him because he is a really good comp to what Nicky Lopez should aspire to in terms of his stat line, in terms of like what he will look like on paper, right? And that's because Adam Frazier doesn't hit the ball all that hard. He's a lot like Nicky Lopez. He relies on medium contact, not on hard contact. And so you'll see Frazier do things like a lot of the sort of soft line drive over second and short, that's Adam Frazier's game. So his stat line is going to be a little bit more on power. He's going to hit more ground balls than like Cody Bellinger and Mike Trout will. And that's good because a, a fly ball for Adam Frazier, like an, a fly ball for Nicky Lopez is pretty useless, right? Frazier's not going to hit a, a lot of home runs. Nicky Lopez is going to hit even fewer. So he needs to find a way to stay between 10 and 25 degrees of his launch angle and hit those line drives, whether they be soft or hard over second and short. And he's doing an okay job of that so far. In 2019, his um, line drive rate was 15.6. In 2020, he actually had a great line drive rate. He's not much further down on that list I was reading you. He had a 25.6% line drive rate. He needs to do something like that again, okay? Right now it's 13.3. Hopefully it gets up there a little higher. He's been hitting a few too many ground balls so far this year. And it's tough for him because ground balls aren't going to be super valuable for him because he doesn't hit the ball very hard. A ground ball has more likely to get through if you hit it harder. I will say, though, that he has been hitting the ball harder this year than he has in the past. So in this year, in 2021, his, they, the, in, on fan graphs, they break it down into softly hit balls, mediumly hit balls, and hard hit balls. And his hard hit rate is roughly the same as it was last year. But his medium hit balls is up like 10%. So he's hitting balls at least slightly harder than he did last year, which is a good, good sign. Yeah, less really weak contact. <laughs> yes. And really weak contact is an out almost every time, right? Unless you get lucky and get some sort of weird swinging bunt, really weak contact isn't going to do you much good. So sort of I'm on the, I'm in the same camp as you in terms of he's not as bad as he was in spring training, but he probably isn't as good as we've seen him so far this year right? Yeah. He's probably not right now anyway, ready to hit with a high line drive, a lot of high line drive percentage, slash the ball all over the place, hit it hard or even medium in terms of exit velocity. We need him to, to be that, but he's probably not quite there yet. Uh, and that's important because they're going to may have to answer the question. What do we do with Nicky Lopez when Alberto Mondesi comes back?
Yeah. And and that that's the thing that's rattling around my head right now is what do you do? Do you send Nikki back down like the original plan was, even though he's hitting? Um, or do you do something with Kyle Isbell or does somebody else have have to go on the injury list? You know, I mean, you never know. He has only struck out three times this year. He does have two walks this year. If I was setting a benchmark for Nicky Lopez and say, what's the most important thing for you to have at the end of this year, it would be a 10% or higher walk rate. Because I think if that's there, then that means not only it's telling you he's seeing the ball really well and probably I'm thinking that the, the hits that he's going to get will come 10% or higher walk rate has got to, it's been his game all throughout the minors has to be there. Yeah. That, and what, what, what percentage does he swing at balls, fastballs inside the strike zone and miss, right? He has to make, he has to make contact on those, right? Uh, The book on him is throw him fastballs and throw them inside if you can. Um, And so he has to find a way to one, he has to feast on those fastballs that are outside, right? Anybody who, who misses and throws him one outside on the outer third or is dumb enough to just do it, he has to take those the other way and he has to hit them with some authority because he struggles so much on the inside of the plate. He really, he's really got to shine when the ball is thrown on the outside. Yeah, so, and I've seen him trying to – he's trying now, or at least he was. Um, he's trying now to fight those inside pitches the other way a little bit. I don't know if that's going to be a recipe for him to be successful. He's not strong enough. It's just yeah. – it's not there, right? Uh, the bulking up was a good idea. I still support it, right? Like, I think he should get stronger and try and hit the ball harder. But he had – I think last year was somewhat bad luck too. I think he, he – his, his periphery numbers – got better in some, to some degree, his batted ball numbers got better, but he was striking out too much. He was swinging and missing. And maybe that was added bulk meant he swung and missed more. And maybe that that's why he had to lose it. I don't know, but it it will be very important that he makes contacts on fastballs inside the strike zone this year. Um, Right now, I think his OPS is hovering right around 750, 740s. It's gone down a little bit today, but uh, if he can stay in that area around the 750 area, that's great. He can, he can, his defense will make up the rest of the value, but, and his base running, which is also good. And the other little things he does, but he cannot be down in the six hundreds and still stick with the team and and get regular playing time. I think there's a chance that if he's still hitting okay, and he's still putting together decent at bats and doing little things, maybe they send a Ryan McBroom down and they have him be a bench player and they have him rotate between second, short and third sort of spelling different people. Um, and get get three to four games a week uh, and do little things and help out, be a defensive replacement and stuff like that. That's a, I think that's a possibility too. And he's not a guy that you might, you don't mind playing every day, I, I think, anyway. you know, if, if you're a person who thinks, well, Nicky Lopez has to be in there getting a bats every day, that's not where I am. Yeah, I'm not there either. Actually, I've moved to that position. Even at the beginning of spring, I might have said, no, get him at bats every day. But it just looks so much to me like his future role on a really successful team it's as a utility bench, guy. It's at a utility bench player. It's it's yeah. it's as a, as that kind of player. Be good at it, get used to it, and be really good at it, and that'll be, have a lot of value for a team. But I just don't know that uh, it makes sense to send him down to AAA and say, "Get at bats every day, Nikki. We expect you to come up and be our starting second baseman uh, sometime soon." Because I just don't see it. The way Kyle Isbell's been hitting, which is pretty good, I just don't see that. This week is the start of a 10-game homestand for the Royals. They'll have a three-game set against the Woohoo! Going to Kansas City. Bring them home, baby, for 10 days. Kansas City, here I come. That's right. 
Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll see a nice long home stretch. Maybe you can get out to a game when the weather is nice. That'd be nice. Mm-hmm. I'm jealous of everybody who in the Kansas City area who can get to a Royals game. We'll have a three game set against the Los Angeles Angels and a four game series against the Toronto Blue Jays this week. The Angels are hot right now. They are six and three to start the year. Their offense is full of guys who are just crushing the ball. And Max Stasi, Jared Walsh, Shohei Otani, who is the early favorite for MVP, I think. And then Mike Trout, who is the second favorite, I guess. I don't know. He's always the favorite. He's the best player of a generation. (laughs) Just the best player of a generation who's just like this generation's Babe Ruth, who's like, you know. Uh, we, I just, I feel weird that people don't talk about him in that, in that way, you know, like uh, we good. could go ask the general populace and a, and a too big percentage would not know who Mike Trout is. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what happens when you play on the West coast, I guess. Well, and you're not like a, this big gregarious personality, which he isn't. And, you know, uh, but man, is he really, really, really good. So for bitching matchups this week, we'll see Brady Singer going against Alex Cobb. That happens Monday. Uh, if you know, weather permitting, uh, then we'll see Danny Duffy against Dylan Bundy. Dylan Bundy is there is the angels. Number one starter. Um, and then the angels have Griffin Channing or Griffin canning listed as the next probable. I'm not entirely sure who's going to start for the Royals after that with all this Brad Keller moving around stuff. Will Junis be the fifth starter now? Will somebody else, I just have no clue what their rotation is going to look like right now. <laughs> Yeah. And so I'm not, I'm not even going to say who's going to pitch in that, who's going to pitch in that uh, final angels game, but uh, it'll be interesting to watch the Royals face another really talented lineup again well, this if, week. If we can go without catching Otani pitching against us, that's a win. That is a win. Um, you know, cause that, that guy can friggin' hum it in there. It's um, bad enough. He'll be hitting against us. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but no, I, I don't dislike that matchup for the Royals. And if people, have, when they talk about the angels, the one thing that they talk about is they're starting pitching depth, maybe not being as strong as as it could be. And so I don't know that Alex Cobb and Dylan Bundy, I think Bundy's a good pitcher. People talk down about him because he probably didn't live up to the potential of when he first came up and they thought he was just going to be all world. But I think he's a solid, solid pitcher. But I think those are two games that the Royals can win. Um, whereas when when you throw out a Shane Bieber out there or a, an Otani or a, guys like that, or even even a guy like, I think they match up pretty poorly against a guy like Dallas Keuchel. Those scare me, but I think those are winnable games for the Royals, all three of them, honestly. Yeah, well, I do too. It's really the lineup that's going to get them. Like if, if the Royals starting pitching is still struggling, oh, um, yeah. Stasi and Walsh and Otani and Trout are going to eat their lunch, man. It's going to be bad. Yeah. Um, and so you might see some nine, eight games in this, in this angel series um, because the Royals have actually seen Dylan Bundy many, many times their lineup, everybody in their lineup has seen him a bunch. Uh, even Carlos Santana, who played for the Indians. We've just seen him a lot because he pitched, he's pitched for a long time. He pitched for the Orioles. And I just seem to remember the Royals facing Dylan Bundy a number of times. Mm-hmm. And so I think we saw him this spring too. It won't be it won't be like a big secret or anything uh, what he's throwing out there, uh, and so you know it'll be interesting to see. I think the pitching matchups are favorable. I think the Angels lineup is scary. scary. <laughs> uh, so uh, no, when it's really scary, it's scary. It's scary. Um, it's real scary. Um, and so we'll see. They're they're six and three to start the year for a reason. Well, and, and this could be a rough week for the starting pitching because the Blue Jays are up next and their lineup ain't garbage either. It's not. They haven't, <laughs> they're not as hot as maybe they could be right now. Yeah. Um, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, Randall Grichik, 
That's a that's a tough lineup. Those are those are hitters that can hit. Um, but their their Blue Jays are four and five to start the year. Their lineup hasn't been gangbusters the way the Angels lineup has. But the, some of those guys are hitting pretty well so far this year. Vlad's hitting. I think his OPS is over a thousand. Um, Gretchik is really hitting the ball well. Biggio struggling a little bit. Um, Bochette's been okay. Um, pretty good even. Is this to the, start like- of the year? Is the, uh, the Blue Jays the all '90s kids team? Yeah, 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 My yeah. Every, every one of these guys has. Larry a Walker didn't have a kid that there. could play for the <laughs> Blue Jays. <laughs> Shit. Uh. They were looking for Barry Larkin's kid. Nobody knows where he's at. But, uh, uh, we'll see. Uh, I want to get really obscure guys. I want. I want to see Matt Stairs' kid in there. I want to uh, see. Uh, I want to see Sean Dunst. That's an '80s guy, though. Yeah, uh, Sean Dunstan. Um, let's see who else was really good. Austin Kearns. We can go there. Yeah, we could go back to the Reds. Okay. We could go. Uh, who else? What's Pudge Rodriguez's kid doing? What's uh, a, oh, he's he's a pitcher. He's oh, a pitcher that's right. He, the, is. Uh, he was for Houston, I think, but I don't think. I don't Why think isn't he Houston on this anymore. team? Come on, yeah, Blue Jays. Yeah, yeah. Mike um, Piazza's kid. What's he up to? Yeah. <laughs> get, let's get them all on there. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, if you own a starter jacket, this team is for you. Um, <laughs> and so. The pitching, not as good as the hitting, probably. They have a couple of solid starters and Steven Matz, and I'm going to mispronounce this name. It's uh, Hyun <laughs> Jin Ryu. That's right. They See, why don't we just let you do it? Uh, Hyun Jin Ryu uh, is, a, is another solid starter. Steven Matz, former Met, uh, has a good ERA so far this year. Um, both of them very capable. Not sure if we'll hit them. It's a four-game series, so we'll probably get Matz and Ryu at some point. Uh, right now, they're only rolling out four starters uh, because they've had off days too, but maybe they have a fifth one who we'll see. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a tough week. These are both very competent teams. Uh, the Royals need to get their offense back in rhythm quickly if they're going to have any hope of uh, taking any from these series. I think this week, seven games. They have seven games in a row. If they come out of here with four wins, that's a huge week for them. Yeah, especially with the tough, the hot Angels lineup coming in, I think four wins would be fantastic. You get two from the Angels and two from the Blue Jays, that would be huge. Or one, I'll take one from the Angels. If we can get three from the Blue Jays, that'd be great. Uh, It's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough week. But you know what? Their bullpen's been really good so far this year. Maybe if maybe if Singer gets back on track, Duffy pitched so well in his first start that hopefully yeah. he comes out and, and mirrors that. I and thought if that Judas... was a little bit of a little. I mean, it was great. It was great to see him pitch, and he was he was doing a really good job moving all over the strike zone. He was didn't there was no book on him in that start. Like, oh, he's doing this all game. No, it was everywhere. But I did think it was a little smoke and mirrors because they hit the ball pretty hard in that start a few times, and the wind was blowing it a little bit, and. Uh, yeah, so he did get helped out a little bit, but um, it was good to see that. Yeah, um, so hopefully he puts together another solid start, hopefully. And we'll see if Junis gets a start this week uh, because I'd love to see him come out and start a game. He was um, really good. He was really good last time. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, hopefully hopefully that happens and we can uh, grab a, at least four wins from this next week. That'd be a big, big week for the Royals. What's something you want you think will help us get to those four wins this week? Well, um, I'm really hoping to see Raul Mon- or Adalberto Mondesi. Raul, that was his dad. Well, he Adalberto's probably playing. Nobody for the Blue knows Jays, anymore. This is like the whole Carol Cheryl thing from uh, <laughs> from Archer. If you watch that, nobody knows what his name is. But- no, no, no. What I'm saying is 
his father was a star in the nineties. He ought oh, to be playing true. for the Blue Jays. That's it. true. He ought to be playing. Um, for I'm sure they'll. I'm sure they'll take him with them when they leave town. Yeah, no kidding. No, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Adalberto Mondesi come back, and he was playing really well there at the end of the spring. And I want. I know he's not likely to jump back in and hit the way that he was, but uh, I want to see him get back in there so that we can really see, hopefully, what the full lineup was intended to be uh, this week, and then. We got to stop walking people, man. We gave up nine walks today. <laughs> we said the same thing last week. Shit. Nine walks today. How did we nine. win Nine. Didn't we deserve to win it, game. but we won it. Golly. So we cannot be putting people on base like that, especially against the uh, Angels when, you know, you put a guy on base and then some monster comes up and hits one to the moon. So, I, I mean, I, I think the furthest baseball I've ever seen hit live was Mike Trout at Kauffman Stadium. He hit it over the batter's eye one time when I was there. Um, and Shohei Otani can hit it just as, as if not further. Yeah, yeah. So, Kaufman's not going to hold him if you walk a couple guys ahead of him. Yeah, it's a, you're in trouble. Yeah. So stop walking people, and I want to see uh, Mondesi get back in there. And uh, I hope he does. I'm not. Under. I'm not sure what the timeline is. I'm not sure where we're at in his. It was recovery, days, and it was retroactive. So they they went a couple yeah, days back. But obliques are really tough. You never know. Well, then, okay, just... then if they're going to do that, are they going to move them to another one? Or are they going to, you know, what are they yeah, going to do? I think they're going to have to do something like that. But they're also, I, I imagine they try and get him some at-bats, maybe at the alternate site or something, before he comes back and actually just starts playing. Uh, yeah. Because I, I think they're going to be real slow and real cautious with it. Because they're, they're right now they have a winning record. They're, what, they're four and three right now, and things are going pretty well. They don't feel like they have to rush him back. And he's had so many injury troubles. I think they're just going to be super cautious with him. I hope he comes back this week too, but I'm just not 100% sold that that's going to happen. But I do know that we could start walking fewer people. I know that can happen. That would be great. Uh, and so that would be fantastic. Uh, what I'd like to see is just the offense, the lineup to get back in rhythm. You know, You could really tell that the off days are hurting them. So I'm ready for them to start playing every day, getting into a rhythm, getting more comfortable at the plate, um, get back to what they looked at like at the end of spring training where they were walking a ton, getting extra base hits. They looked in sync then. And you could tell that those off days really just knocked them off their, um, off their rhythm. And so I'd like to see him get back to it, take those walks, hit the ball hard the other way, all that sort of stuff. Um, so if we can do that, I, I feel like this might be a decent week for us. I really don't want us to slip into one of those oh, stretches six in a row or something. Yeah. 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 One of those stretches that really sinks our early season where it's like, Oh, we went three and 13, you know, like, um, mm -hmm. so let's, let's try and grab a few wins from this week and, and stay out of those uh, long losing droughts. We'll end the show with our just a bit outside segment where we sort of share something that is interesting us outside of baseball this week. So Mike, what's fascinating you outside the world of baseball? Golf, baby. We just had uh, the Masters. Congratulations to Matsuyama, I think, who's the guy who won that. Yeah. Um, he's been so good for quite a while now, so good to see First him. First Japanese his... man to win the to win a major. I was going to say, he hasn't. I knew he hadn't won one yet, and he's been just a really good golfer for a long time. But, um, you know, it's, it's getting warm again, so I get to go out and play golf. And so I played a round in Mexico at the worst golf course I've ever been to. And then I got to play at my local course here, Hoots Hollow. And Hoots. Either, it's either Pleasant Hill or it's uh, Harrisonville. I can't really tell. It's kind of in between the two. Um, but, yeah, I, I highly encourage you get out there and get on the golf course. Here's what they say, you know, golf and sex, the two things you can be terrible at and still enjoy. 
So get out there and play some golf. Give it a shot. And I feel like that should be the title of your memoir. <laughs> you probably should. <laughs> Being terrible at them, but still enjoying them. And as you know, we are blessed here in the greater Kansas City area to have many affordable golf courses to go to. Many great municipal courses to go to that are affordable, that are in pretty good shape. You know, you don't got to yeah, come out to Virginia, people. You're going to spend your entire salary trying to play golf. Yeah. Right? And there's, that's, they don't have a bunch that's of That's what it's like either, out here. So. Yeah. Not um, a ton of courses. They don't do municipal, many municipal courses out here at all. And they certainly don't do these places like Hoots and stuff like that, which are like small, but fairly well taken care of courses that don't cost a ton. They don't have any of those out here. Uh, if, yeah. if a course doesn't cost much, it is in terrible shape. And if it isn't in terrible shape, it costs a fortune. Yeah, we and got so, Longview. Uh, Fred Arbanis at Longview is a, a good course, not very far from my house. Hoots. Shamrock isn't even that bad. It's really close to my house. Um, we, we are spoiled here. So get out and play some golf. Or Frisbee golf is fun, too. Go do that. Yeah, that's free. So. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm for my just a bit outside, it's a little bit of a bittersweet just a bit outside. Uh, it was the passing of DMX this week. And uh, though I'm not a huge DMX fan, just because I don't listen to a ton of his music, uh, the thing that I kept coming back to me all week was is his verse from the song 24 Hours to Live. If you've ever heard that song, it's on Mesa's Harlem World uh, record. And it is the best verse of rap maybe I've ever heard or one of my favorite verses of rap of all time. Uh, and so I won't, I won't recite the whole thing but I do want to give a little bit of the last couple of lines. Uh, it goes, uh, C4 up under my coat, snatch up my dog. Turn like three villains on Wall Street into a fog. Out with a bang, you will remember my name. I wanted to live forever, but this was the thing. Love, love that song. Love that yeah. verse. The idea uh, of, sad like, to see a talented rapper go. Yeah, the idea of the storm in the world with your dog <laughs> you know i know like, that's yeah. just if i'm gonna storm the world if i'm going after something someone i know it's my last day i'm gonna have my dog with me <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, i, I mean i want my dog to be to safe about, though so. uh, sad to hear about dmx uh for people our age you know uh, a big a big voice in the uh, rap game in the late 90s and early 2000s so Yes. Uh, Basically, the last time I listened to rap music was probably in the DMX era. Yeah, no kidding. So I just keep thinking about that song all week this week. Listen to it a few times. Uh, Give it a listen if you've never listened to it. A very, very interesting and fun song. Uh, That's all we have for this week. Uh, We have more than 24 hours to live, hopefully. And so we're going to enjoy some Royals baseball this week. Um, Please join us again next week when we discuss who knows what. Uh, hopefully hopefully at least a four and three week hopefully a winning week when we we discuss how the royals pitching staff made mike trout go oh for the series oh yeah yeah i'm just throwing it out there in the universe um and so we didn't walk him eight times either (laughs) we'll we'll, we'll be talking about uh seven ten nothing wins yeah Uh, royals wins come come next week Uh, but please uh, subscribe rate review come join us again we have lots of fun And we'll uh, see you next week on Royals Weekly. 